Well, the first Sunday of 2019, and I am praying that you are already doing very well. This is a year that's going to bring all of us a lot of unexpected things, things that are welcome and things that are unwelcome. And my prayer is that over the course of this year, our lives would really reflect how glorious God is and that we would experience the joy that God wants us to have. And we'll do that by, in the title of this message, by keeping things simple, really by keeping our focus on the Lord. There's a gentleman named Reuben Goldberg, or Rube Goldberg as he was known. Uh, he was a cartoonist and an inventor, probably best known for his cartoons that would depict very complicated gadgets or machines that would accomplish some very simple task. Uh, on the screen, we have an example of one of his cartoons. And uh, this is called the, uh, the self-operating napkin. And so there are a mere 13 or so steps between lifting the spoon and then the cleansing action of the napkin. And so you can see it involves a ladle, a parrot, a cracker, some seeds, a bucket, a clock, a lighter, uh, a little rocket. Uh, yeah, about 13 steps. That's about it, right? Once you lift the spoon, that whole contraption goes into play, and eventually the napkin will wipe your mouth. A Rube Goldberg machine is a machine that is designed to be overly complicated, to do something very simple, uh, but to do it in a very indirect and complicated way. And uh, they do have contests for these nowadays. And they're humorous, and they're, um, they're ingenious as well. But they do point out a very important life principle. And it's that life is busy and life is complicated. And far too often, I think, you and I make life more complicated by not focusing on the most important things in our lives. We run the risk of neglecting those things. And so keeping our focus is critically important. Many of you, I suspect, are probably familiar with the internet meme, uh, you had one job, right? You had one job. And usually that phrase is put on a picture of someone that failed at that one job that they had. And that really is the point, is to mock someone for failing at something that is otherwise relatively easy. So I have an example on the screen as well. <laughs> right, so whoever painted that line had one job, to paint it straight. It wasn't an opportunity for self-expression. It wasn't a, a chance for them to reflect personally on what they thought straight lines really were. You're just supposed to paint the straight line. You had one job. So, I want to simplify our lives this morning. I believe that in our passage, according to Jesus, you and I have one job, and that is to love the Lord with all we are and all we have. It's really that simple. To love the Lord with all we are and all we have. Everything else is just designed to help us get there, or it's a distraction that needs to be ignored. Let's take a look at our passage this morning. It's uh, page 828 in the uh, blue Bibles in front of you, unless you're in the front row, it's behind you. Uh, or you can look on your phone or tablet. But it's uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And it's called uh, the greatest commandment. There's actually two in there we're going to take a look at. But Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard 
that he had silenced the Sadducees, that is, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So a little bit of background. The Sadducees were a group of religious leaders in Jesus' day who didn't like Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. And so they would come and test him just as the Pharisees would. And so in this case, they came and they asked him a question. They said, suppose there's this woman who marries a man and, and he dies. And then, as was the custom, she would marry one of the brothers and he dies and goes to the third. And ultimately, she marries seven brothers. They all die. And then she dies. So whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Now, the interesting thing about this is the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural, so they didn't really care. Their whole goal was to test him so that they could trap him, arrest him, and, of course, ultimately kill him. The Pharisees, this other religious group who did believe in in supernatural things, they see the Sadducees and they probably thought, oh, how sad. What What a pathetic effort to trap Jesus. It didn't work. We can do that. So they send a legal expert And he comes and he tests Jesus with this question, which is the greatest command? The greatest command of God. There's there's over 600 in the Old Testament. Not a bad question to ask. You know, can these things be ranked? What's What's the most important one? And Jesus gives him an answer. The greatest commandment. Now, in keeping with the simplicity of this message, this sermon has three points. And probably about 40 sub-points, but three main points. I, I would encourage you, actually, if you're uh, not a note-taker, you might want to take notes. You might find that beneficial this morning. But there's three main points to this message. You can see them in your outline already. What is the greatest commandment? And then number two, why is this the greatest commandment? And then number three, very importantly, how do we obey the greatest commandment? What is it? Why this one? And then how do we obey it? First of all, what is the greatest commandment? And is it the greatest, like Muhammad Ali, because he can beat up all the other commandments? Uh, Probably not. In a parallel passage in Mark chapter 12, Jesus referred to it as the most important commandment. So it is the greatest commandment in the sense of being the most important commandment. And it says to love the Lord your God with all. And then in our passage, it mentions three things, heart, soul, and mind. What's interesting, though, is this this comes up at least in in, uh, four passages in the Bible, and the list is never the same. Where it originally comes up in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have heart, soul, and might. Our passage, heart, soul, and mind. In Mark 12, when Jesus gives the answer there, he actually adds one. He says, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In response, the scribe in in Mark 12 actually cuts Jesus' four down to three, and uh, kind of combines two, and he says, uh, heart, understanding, and strength. And also in Luke 10, it says, heart, soul, strength, and mind. Same four of the last two are reversed. So what's, what's going on? There's only a few words here. Why can't anyone keep them straight? What, 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 what's the issue here? 
Well, really, it's, I think it's like the lists in the New Testament on spiritual gifts. There's a few of those as well, and they're never identical. Some are longer, some are shorter, some are included in, in one list and not in another. The idea here isn't to be exhaustive, but inclusive, which is why earlier I said our one job is to love the Lord our God with all that we are and all that we have. That's it. All that we are, all that we have. That's really what's being, uh, being addressed here. Now, for the sake of, of thoroughness, I'm going to use Mark and Luke's uh, fourfold description. Keeping in mind, though, that the biblical terminology is used a little bit differently than, than the way we would use these terms today. And also, there is some overlap. But I think it's extremely helpful for us to take a look. How are we to love God? Well, in these, in these four different ways, these four different areas. The first is heart. We are to love the Lord with all our heart. Which means this is an emotional relationship, right? This isn't a relationship with our creator that's, that's really just more about us doing stuff to keep him happy or to keep him from getting angry with us. The Bible describes our relationship with the Lord and likens it to the most intimate human relationship that there is, the relationship between a man and his wife. It's that kind of affection, that kind of intimacy, that kind of passion that God is after. He is calling us to respond to his love. He initiates with us. He's calling us to respond with love. Now, I, I wonder if that doesn't sound a little strange to us at, at times. I mean, as Christians, we realize we're supposed to love God. But it almost sounds like, well, you're supposed to love God more right? It, it's not enough. You've got to keep loving him more and more. Almost makes it sound like, well, God's just, he's very difficult to please. You know, one of the things you realize, though, is that apart from sin, loving God with all of our hearts would be the most natural thing we could do. The deficiency in our love is not in God. It's not because God is not more lovable. It's not because God is not more lovely. It's because you and I are sinful. And that sin, one, inhibits us from seeing God as he really is and appreciating his beauty and his loveliness. But it also distracts us into loving other things. And so the commandment of God is that we are to love him with all of our hearts. Again, one of the most natural things that we could do apart from sin. He is lovely. The deficiency is with us. It also really means that we're not only to love the Lord, but to love the things that God loves and to not love the things that God hates. Secondly, soul. We are to love the Lord with all our soul. In the Bible, of course, soul refers to the whole person. And so I appreciate what one commentator said about this, is that if you look at the heart and say, well, that's really internal, right? It's, it's our emotions, our passion for God. The soul is the whole person. You and I as people should be known as those who love the Lord. Everything that we do, everything that we say, who we are as people, we should be dedicating to the love of God. It shouldn't be moving in any other direction. It should be focused on our passion for God. All of it should be declared. You and I should be known as people. People say something about us. One of the things they should say is, well, you can just tell by the way she lives. She loves the Lord. Or he loves the Lord. That's the, that's the command. Heart, soul, and then mind. Right? God gave us our brains. We are to use them in a way that honors God and, and expresses our love for him. So how do we do that? One of the ways is that we seek the Lord. 
We use our minds to understand him, to think rightly about him, and to learn more about him. If we show very little interest in the Lord, right, that's a reflection of a a very little love for God. One of the ways that we can love God is is a desire to know him better, to seek him more. What do we put our minds on? What do you dwell on? What do you focus on? If given the choice between spending time in God's word to learn more about him, to discover his character and his nature and his will and his plan for your life, or just to kind of waste the time a little bit playing a game or something. I'm not saying that just to make you feel guilty, though if it does, that's the work of the Holy Spirit and I'm grateful for it in your life and in my life. But I think it's important for for us to understand that. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I feel convicted when I'm on my phone and the thought comes to my mind, you know, I should, I should read God's word. And then another thought comes, yeah, but you got that great score in that one game. You know, you could just keep playing that. I'm like, oh, why do I keep struggling with this? It's a reminder to us that a love for God shows up in all areas of our life, including what we think about, what we dwell on, what we focus on, what we seek. And the last thing is strength. So heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just physical strength, right? I mean, if a, if a boy's trying to impress a girl, he might flex his muscles, right? God is not very impressed with our muscles. So it's not that kind of strength. The idea here seems to be the strength are the resources that we have, right? And so President Trump, he's in his 70s, doesn't look ripped to me. Um, I don't know how physically strong he is, but I suspect he's got the strength of a man in his 70s, Right? But he's strong when you consider the resources that are at his disposal. Not only is he a very wealthy man, but he has the armed forces. He's got the secret service. He's got the different uh, departments of the government. He's very strong in that regard. And you and I have been blessed with God with a variety of resources as well. Financial resources, our gifts, our family, our influence, the time that we have, all of those things. God is saying, Put those things into use as an expression of your love for me. And love me through those things. Love me by the way that you handle your material possessions. By the way that you handle all that I've blessed you with. That's a big call, isn't it? To love God with all of the strength that we have. And so we ask the question, with all that God has put in your disposal, how are you loving God with those things? If you were to ask the Holy Spirit to evaluate, it's okay, as you, as you see these things in my life, how am I doing? Someone were to, to look at your checkbook, they were to look at your, your schedule, would that depict a love for God? This is the most important thing you and I can do. It's more important than anything else that might make it into our checkbook, might make it into our, our calendar, into our thoughts. This is it. If we're going to simplify our lives, if we as individuals and as a church in 2019 are going to focus on the most important things. It's going to be to love the Lord with our heart, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, everything that God has given to us. That's the command. That's that's the what. Now, why? I want to know why. Why is this the greatest commandment? Well, I mean, apart from the fact that Jesus told us that it is, right? That, That should be enough. But if you look at verse 40, verse 40 says this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? 
So it's including this second commandment to love your neighbor as, as yourself. These two are inseparable, right? If, if you love God, you cannot help but love your neighbor. The Bible is clear about that, right? How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen and yet hate your brother whom you have seen, right? It, it's a ridiculous proposition. If you love God, he will give you the love for others. And if you truly love others, if you truly love them with a God-given love, that's only possible if God's love lives inside you. There's no other way around it. So it is the most important command because everything else hangs on these two, right? Everything else falls under these two. The, the Ten Commandments, you've got the commandments, the first four that are directed towards God. This is how we love God. We honor his name. We have no other gods before him. We, we, we treat the Sabbath day as holy. The next six, how do we love one another? We, we, we speak the truth to them. We don't covet. We don't harm them in any way. That's how we love one another. One, uh, one writer put it this way, nothing can be truly obeyed apart from these two commands. There is no way to obey any other command in Scripture apart from the command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say, without these two commands, the Bible is sterile. If you could, if you could obey every single command that God gave except the command to love him and to love your neighbor, then what's left? Th there is no relationship. There is no intimacy. There's no passion. And I think that's really what you have at the core of the world religions. There is no relationship with the creator. You're just doing stuff in order to try to earn his favor, try to avoid his wrath. So, number two, why love? Why not the greatest command is to worship the Lord your God, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, to serve the Lord your God. Why love? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 16, God is love. God is love. Whoever loves lives in love. They live in God and God is in him. I mean, just think about that for a minute. God is, is not merely loving. God is the epitome and the source of love. He is the only one who loves perfectly. When you see him, you see love in its purest form. To know God is to experience love in its purest and most perfect form. We can't get that from one another, right? We get glimpses of it. But to be in a relationship with the Lord is to experience the perfection of love, the embodiment of love. I think even though serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, sacrificing for the Lord, those are all a part of it as we'll see. The reality is God does not need you or me for anything. He's not served by human hands. He doesn't live in, in temples that we make. God existed from eternity past, long before you and I came on the scene, and he seemed to be doing very well on his own without us. And he would continue to do very well on his own without us. He does not need us. I'm reminded of an old uh, commercial for an airline where a guy goes up to the counter at the airport and he says, hey, is there any way I can get an upgrade? And, and the woman says, well, sure, I'm willing to see what you can do. He's like, what I can do? And he looks behind him, and there's one guy juggling, there's another guy doing mime, and they're trying to do something in order to win this woman's favor to get an upgrade. We don't have to do that. We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to work hard for it. If you are in Christ, he loves you on your worst day as much as he loves you on your best day. He loves you perfectly. 
And you and I are called to bask in that love and then to reflect that love back to God. It's not something over and above what we should do. As I said, apart from sin, it is the most most natural thing that you and I can do. And this command tells us something incredibly important about God. The God of the Bible, the God that we worship, his number one command is that you and I respond to his love by loving him in return. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Sometimes I don't don't think we think about it that way. I think we think I need to do stuff. That doing is an an outgrowth of that love for God. So the last point in the the why is it the greatest commandment. Number one, all the law hangs on these two. It's love because God is love. But why, why all that you have? Why all your heart? Why all your soul and all your mind and all your might? Because quite frankly, anything else is idolatry. Anything else is idolatry. God gives us 100% of himself. He doesn't withhold anything. He gives us all of himself. And so if something is pulling you or me away from giving ourselves completely to the Lord, then that's an idol. Whether it's a good thing in and of itself or a bad thing, it is idolatry. What makes for great relationships, I know in in talking with uh, uh, couples in the premarital class, what makes for great intimacy in marriage is the ability of both people to give themselves wholeheartedly to one another and and, and say, I'm yours. I'm, I'm completely yours. And to share their lives fully with one another. I'm reminded of, a, of a, a college friend that I had who was one of the most intimidating looking and sounding people that I'd ever met. He had been in the army for a few years. He still had, uh, you know, even shorter than a crew cut uh, when he got to college. And uh, he talked with this, this uh, really kind of a low, almost, you know, whispery voice. And he was a weightlifter. So he's a big guy, looked very intimidating. And uh, somehow I became his friend, maybe because I was afraid of him and I was, you know, he felt sorry for me. And uh, he had this girlfriend, I was a really sweet girl, but she was kind of shy. And I remember telling me, he told me at one point, he said, you know, I might have to break up with her because she's not willing to really just share herself in our relationship. I need, I need to keep telling her, you know, I, I, need, I need to know you better. You need to talk more about yourself. You need to help me understand who you are. I thought that was a great illustration. You know, they, they've now been married, I think, for probably 30 years. He was the least likely person to say that. Maybe, he, maybe she was afraid of him like most of the rest of us were, you know? And that voice of big and with, with, with no hair, tell me about yourself. <laughs> no. No. That wasn't a bad impersonation of him, actually. Every day, you and I have decisions to make in our lives. And those are decisions that will either reflect what we want or what God wants in our lives. And what God says is, I want it all. I want all of you. I deserve all of you. I've given you all of me. And you know, here's my concern. As I think in my life, and I think in your life, we treat idolatry way too casually. I think we might hear the words of Jesus in this passage and we might think to ourselves, hey, that's great and I wish I could get there. And yeah, you are worthy of all my my love and all my affection in all areas of my life. All that I am and all that I have, you are worthy of that. It's just too much. It's too hard. There are other things that I'd rather do. 
I mean, if we're there, if you are honestly there, then brothers and sisters, I urge you to confess that as idolatry. That's exactly what it is. Some of the best pastoral advice I remember hearing is a pastor who just said, knock it off. If that's what you're doing, knock it off. You and I need to take this and, and recognize it, 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 it is what it is. We need to wake up and understand that not loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, that, that's not, it's not like getting a B rather than an A, right? It is idolatry. It's unworthy of God. And God calls us to that. It's a high command. And so the next question we ask is, well, how in the world can we fulfill this command? I'm, I'm trying, right? I'm trying the best I can. I don't measure up. So how in the world can we do this? And the bottom line here is simply it's, it's got to be the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit's power enables us to love the Lord the way we are commanded to. To keep things simple by putting God first in our lives. By loving him with everything we are and everything we have. Only the Holy Spirit can help us do that. But here's the thing. That's not a passive thing on our part. Talked about earlier from, uh, from Jeremiah where we get a heart of flesh that replaces the heart of stone and the Spirit of God is put inside God's people and he moves us and maybe sometimes he's pushing us to obey God's laws. And so the problem for you and me is that we are resisting the Spirit rather than resisting the devil. If we keep in step with the Spirit, the Bible puts it in a way that doesn't make it sound easy, but it's simple, right? We are submitting ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can love the Lord with all we are and all we have. So how do we do that? I want to talk first about individually and then as a church. Individually, I, I like the ideas that I kind of mentioned earlier that you're kind of all in on something. You sort of throw yourself into something, right? If you throw yourself into a, into a good, healthy relationship, that relationship will grow. I think we're supposed to throw ourselves into this relationship with the Lord. We're supposed to be all in, right? And so I have this acronym called TOSS. Like we're tossing ourselves, if you will, at the feet of Jesus. We're all in in this relationship. And TOSS stands for trust, obey, submit, and seek. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we love the Lord individually. We trust the Lord. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so we take him at his word. When God says to do something, even though we don't understand it, even though we don't like it, we trust him. It's an expression of our love for God. We obey the Lord. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't know if you've ever reflected on that after disobeying the Lord. I remember years ago hearing a pastor say, I don't tell the Lord I love him because I, I don't obey him. I'm too inconsistent in my obedience and I feel like it's presumptuous to tell him I love him. Now, I wouldn't go that far. I think the Lord loves to hear that you love him. But I think it's a reminder to us that we can love him more, that we can obey him more perfectly. And it's, an, it's a way of expressing that love. And you realize that not, in that understanding, that not obeying isn't that much different than not loving. And most of us would acknowledge, well, I, I don't obey the Lord as much as I should, but I certainly love the Lord. Jesus connects those more closely than we do. Submit. It's an expression of our love for God. Thinking about this, if you have a boss that you really love, or, or your parents growing up, I, I'm blessed with wonderful parents. I love my parents. To submit to my parents during my teenage years was harder than it is now, but I, I love them, and I, and I want to submit to them. I want to do 
what, what they need me to do. They call me to do something. It's a desire of mine. So as our love for God grows, our desire to submit to him grows. But one of the ways that we can love him uh, and, and grow in that love is to submit to the Lord. So we trust him, we obey him, we submit to him, and then we seek him. What's one of the things that people do when they love one another, right? Especially couples that get together. They, they seek each other out. They want to spend all the time they can. They want to get to know one another better. And we do that through prayer. We do that through seeking God in his word and seeking his will. Individually, I think that's how we, we love the Lord. Trust, obey, submit, and seek. How about as a church? How do we do this? Looking forward in 2019, what's God calling Moody Church to do? How do we love him individually as members of, of the family here at Moody Church? And how do we love him as a church? I think one of the most important ways for us to show our love for God is characterized by the word engage. As you and I are engaged in what God is doing here at Moody Church and through Moody Church, it's one of the most important ways that we can express our love for God. You know, when a family loves one another, they're engaged together, right? They're doing things together. Maybe you're a part of a family. I've, I've heard of families as well that, uh, you know, you want to get together and do a family game. And then one or two of the members of the family say, ah, yeah, yeah, I'm not interested. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about my family. I'm talking about yours right now. Um, we, we, we've had that, right? Like, hey, we're all going to get together. We're all going to play whatever game it is. And then you have one or two members that go, you know, I'd rather just be alone and do something else, whatever that might be. You know, you don't feel loved by that member of the family, you know? When, when you're engaged in what God is doing here at Moody Church, you express your love for God. Why? Because God loves his church. God loves his people. And he loves the mission that he's given his church. And so our engagement in what God is doing here is a great expression of our love for God. So if you love the Lord, you're going to love what God loves, his church and the mission he's given to it. Pastor said this, it's engaged Christians who advance the mission. Engaged Christians are passionate Christians. They know what the mission is, they serve it, they love it, and they live in it. And this pastor went on to say that his goal is to turn people in his church into passionate champions of the mission. Do you want to be a passionate champion of the mission that God has given to Moody Church in 2019? I hope so. Because we can't do it effectively without everyone God's called here. You might look and say, well, they're still putting on services. They're still doing great things. Who knows what God's called us to do that we're not doing because not enough of us are passionate, engaged in what God is calling us to do. So how might we do that at Moody Church? Well, there, there's a lot of different ways. I want to encourage you with what's coming up, our Explore God series, that you're engaging in conversations with non-Christians. And so you're, you're inviting them to come. You're going to be a part of that. We've got a prayer meeting on Wednesday. Your family is gathering together. If you're a part of Moody Church, if God has called you here for this season of your, of your spiritual life, then your family is gathering this Wednesday night. And we're going to pray together for our church and for our city, for the search, for where we are. You need to be there. You need to express your love to God and to one another by being there, if at all possible. You imagine if you came this morning and there were only eight of us here, You'd be like, wow, that is very discouraging. You wouldn't even know, perhaps, 90% of the people who weren't here. But their presence encourages you and their absence would discourage you. 
Be engaged in what God is doing here, what God is doing through us. Because you know what the bottom line is? The bottom line, this is worship. This is worship. When we love God, we worship him. We worship what it is that we love. There's a quote that I think is very helpful. There's this uh, Augustinian idea that we are what we love. We are what we love. And the phrase this author goes on to say is, it really functions more like you are what you eat, right? So it doesn't mean if you eat broccoli, you become broccoli. But a person who craves broccoli is usually a different sort of a person who craves deep-fried Twinkies. (laughs) Our wants tell us a lot about who we are. We are shaped most by what we love most. More so than what we think or what we do. We are shaped most by what we love most. You and I are defined by what we love. It's our love that governs our actions. That's what God calls us to. My friends, in 2019, let's keep it simple individually. Let's keep it simple as a church. We are to love the Lord our God with all that we are and all that we have. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. For the glory of God and for our eternal good. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do confess that we are a distracted, sinful people. Your Spirit inside us convicts us that we are are not loving you the way that we ought to and even the way that we desire. And so, Father, I pray that you would convict us of that sin, that you would help us to understand that anything that distracts us from loving you with all that we are and all that we have is an idol. And I pray that we would come before you in humility and confession of sin and with a passion with a passion to love you, with everything we are and everything we have. We need that, Father. Accomplish that in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.